Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's February 11th, 1852. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. We've all heard the expression spending a penny, but on this day in 1852, if you wanted to use the first ever women's public toilets at 51 Bedford Street, The Strand, you would have had to have spent two pence. However, for that price, you would have been waited on by an attendant who would be able to guide you around these strange new facilities, such as sinks to wash your hands, closets to use the toilet with a floor-to-ceiling door, and for an extra fee, you could have your clothes washed or brushed. Sounds great. I'm in. <laughs> you say it was the first public toilet for women. It was the first, like, flushing public mm. toilet for women as we know it now. The first plumbed-in toilets for women. Uh, there had obviously been earlier efforts. In 1423, there was a 128-seat toilet, half of which was reserved for women, called the House of Easement, <laughs> which was placed over the River Thames at the mouth of the Walbrook oh, no. uh, by Dick Whittington, <laughs> London's first man. That Dick Whittington. Wow. That Dick Whittington. And um, you, you, it was a long drop, basically, that was washed out by the tide. So it was just a hot... You, you sit in a line, and I'd imagine if with you know if you were a bit downstream, you'd see things plopping out of there all day long. But uh, that did exist. But this... Would have been seen to have been rather indecorous to Victorian ladies, obviously. So this was the first, um, <laughs> the first gender-specific flushing public toilet one could talk about in decent company. Yeah, so the first two public toilets, the, the women's one was preceded by a men's public toilet, unsurprisingly, that opened a few months earlier. But they came on the back of the success of public water closets that had been shown at the Great Exhibition of 1851. And at the exhibition, a man named George Jennings, who was a Brighton plumber, installed his so-called monkey closets uh, in the retiring rooms at the Crystal Palace. And these monkey closets caused a great deal of excitement because they were the first that anyone had ever seen with flowing water. Mm. And at the exhibition, 827,000 people uh, paid one penny. It was a penny to go to these ones. Which probably is where the phrase came from, right? We don't know, but probably. But I note that the total attendance was six million, a third of the UK population at the time. So basically, only one in six people went to the official toilets while they were there, leaving you wondering what the rest of them did if they needed to go to the loo. Well, Crystal Palace is in a big part. That's true. It doesn't really stretch the imagination too far, does it, to imagine the working class visitor without a penny to spend on the toilet and what they might have done. Yes. Well, it does also sort of underline the fact that the streets in England back then 
must have been really very grim indeed. And after the exhibition, Jennings wrote to the commissioners of sewers in London, offering up the public toilets that he had shown so successfully uh, to the city of London. And his letter itself gives a pretty good impression of the state of the city's streets at the time. He says, I think it only right to call attention to the efforts I have made to prevent the defilement of our thoroughfares and to remove those plague spots that are offensive to the eye and a reproach to the metropolis. And the excitement generated by George Jennings and his water closets came at a time when, you know, we all know the Victorians are extremely preoccupied with improving sanitation. 1851 ended up being a bit of a milestone year in this drive. Portable urinals made their first appearance in London. And that same year, the Times reported that the Council of the Society of Art, and I assume they became involved because of the connection with the Great Exhibition and the popularity Mm. of the toilets there, they published an outline for a system of male and female public toilets on major thoroughfares throughout London, and it proposed that they be incorporated into existing shops. And they had some suggestions. They noted that the shops which appear to be most suitable for waiting rooms for ladies are stay makers, bonnet makers, milliners, etc. Those most suitable for gentlemen's waiting rooms are hairdressers, tailors, hatters, taverns, etc. <laughs> the tavern thing is very interesting, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, nowadays still... There aren't enough public toilets in London, and people are often told, just go and use the one in the pub. Mm. Obviously, from a modern perspective, there's all sorts of reasons why people don't feel comfortable and welcome in a pub anyway. But just on the gender split basis, if you go in a Victorian pub, uh, you can see, can't you, that the male toilets are easily accessible by route from the bar, Mm. and the female toilets are often like three stories up in the air. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and this actually points to something that I think cannot be overstated, which was that prior to the availability of public toilets, access to public spaces was basically restricted to men. Men of all classes always had the option of discreetly relieving themselves in a quiet corner, which was not only impractical for women due to you know what they were wearing, but also unthinkable for respectable women. You can't really hide in a corner and have a quiet wee the way a man can. And so this is called by some historians the urinary leash. And that's easy to overlook when you're thinking about going back to the past. You know, if you're thinking, oh, I wish I could go back in time and visit Versailles or something, you're not thinking, oh, but where would I go to the toilet? Because the answer for most of history would have been basically nowhere. Mm. And this lack of facilities acted as a massive exclusionary force at keeping women at home. And in Victorian times, that wasn't necessarily seen as an issue. It was actually a positive, if anything, because the idea was that the public sphere was for men and the private sphere was for women. And that explains why when you read Victorian novels or diaries, the social lives of so many women, talking specifically really about middle class and upper class women, it revolved around spending time at home and other Mm. people's homes. This is why women went out paying calls and receiving calls, because you couldn't really go out anywhere, because if you needed to use the toilet, you'd have to go home again. Yeah, the urinary leash is such a devastating phrase, isn't it? Yeah. But again, you can see it in the Victorian buildings that exist today, theatres, for example. Again, the, the the toilets that were obviously the male toilets are still the ones that are quicker to get into and women are queuing and queuing the whole way through the interval. Well, this exact fact led to the formation of the Ladies' Sanitary Association, which campaigned from the 1850s onwards through a combination of lectures and the distribution of pamphlets and so on to try to get more public toilets for women around the country. But in typical Victorian prudish style, it's it's fascinating to read their pamphlets now because the thing that they were supposedly actually campaigning for, i.e. more places to go and pee, is quite well buried in the literature. <laughs> like They write about vaccination and how to bring up a child and the benefits of window box gardening. Um, (laughs) And all of that comes under the umbrella of sanitation when really it's a group of women petitioning to have a toilet. But even they within their own organisation find it 
difficult to ask for public consideration in mm. that matter. Yeah. Well, then a second group emerged called the Union of Women's Liberal and Radical Associations, and they campaigned for working class women in particular to have access to public toilets in Camden. And in 1898, the members wrote to the vestry in Camden for toilet access for women next to the men's. But that was the problem almost in itself. The, the yeah. plans were scuppered by the fact that Victorian men weren't ready to have the women urinating next door. And apparently Camden did actually set up a model uh, women's toilet to sort of trial run the idea of it. I just can't visualise it. I know what a toilet <laughs> is. But you're going to have to make me a model of a toilet with a woman sitting on it. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently it kept being uh, sabotaged by men, including uh, handsome cab drivers who deliberately drove into the demonstration to indicate that it was in an inconvenient position and also presumably as a big FU to women generally. Yeah, and it seems like actually a lot of women themselves weren't ready for women's public toilets because it would be easy to place this as kind of a story of, you know, they fought for it, they got it, and yay, then they have public toilets. But the toilets that we're talking about, the ones on Bedford Street on the Strand, they actually closed after a few months because mm. women weren't using them. Because despite the vast amount of curiosity that had been generated by the public conveniences at the Great Exhibition, in practice, respectable women still didn't feel comfortable. If you imagine being a you know, middle-class Victoria woman, you are still, even though there's a locked door, you are being asked to basically undress and urinate in public which is mm. something that must have seemed pretty inconceivable and even being seen entering a toilet would have been seen as incredibly embarrassing yes. as we kind of touched on even the most faint reference to women's bodily functions was taboo this was an era when chemists sold toilet roll from under the counter and <laughs> lady customers referred to it as curling paper to spare their blushes the craziest thing as well even as late as 1879, so more than 20 years after this, Paddington's health officer, who was called Dr. James Stevenson, was informing the local council that women had the same, quote, physical necessities as men. I mean, it's also important to note that public toilets are a bit on the way out, not just women's, but also men's. There was this report in 2019 by the Royal Society for Public Health called Taking the Piss, hilariously, which found that the number of public lavatories around the UK had fallen from 3,100 in 2015-2016 to 2,500 in 2020-21. That's a drop of like 20% across six years. It's to do with the cuts made in 2010 which meant councils had to look at their budgets and apparently public toilets have never been a compulsory part of a council's budget. It was the yeah. first thing that went. One of the funny upshots is that some of these public loos, particularly the ones in London, that were quite well-built spaces quite a lot of the time, have been repurposed for all sorts of sort of zhuzhi purposes, including one that I found in Clapham, uh, which is now a wine bar. And in that instance, the WC on the sign outside stands for wine and charcuterie. <laughs> which is <laughs> I've actually been the most, there. Have you? Oh, God, of course. <laughs> I think that's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really good. There was no point where I was aware that hundreds, if not thousands, of people had urinated exactly where I was tucking into my mortadella. Next time. And there certainly are parts that feel you're hallucinating. It's somehow both too fast and too slow. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.